Chapter Three of the Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Cake and Benevolence. Mrs. Evans stirred her coffee with an irresolute air, occasionally studying that portion of her husband's face which could be seen from behind the morning paper. She had that to say to him which always made his face grow more or less gloomy. She was trying to decide whether this was a propitious time, though daily growing more doubtful as to whether there would ever be a propitious time for like topics. Presently determining that, whether safe or not, it must be done, she entered her hesitating interruption. "'Dane, if you have a few minutes for me this morning, I would like to talk with you.' The paper dropped promptly, and the husband waited, courteously enough, but in silence, and with a face that told of habitual perplexity in some direction, perhaps in many. "'I think I shall be obliged to have a little more money today. That is, if we bake for the festival. The ladies are going around this afternoon to see what each one will do, and I suppose I shall have to say what our part will be.' "'I thought they hadn't decided yet whether to have a festival or not.' "'Well, it isn't quite decided.' That is part of the work of the committee this afternoon, to see whether the people approve of the festival, and if so, what they will give toward it. Then, if I were you, I would say I didn't approve. I'm sure I don't. The whole thing is a first-class nuisance from beginning to end. I never approved of that way of doing business, and I don't change my opinion as I grow older. And the husband, who could not have been more than thirty at the utmost, albeit he talked so wisely about growing older, drank his coffee almost scalding hot, and ate his steak and baked potato rapidly, with a gloomy face. "'Yes, but, Dane, I don't suppose our opinion will be asked. In fact, they have taken it for granted that we are in sympathy with them. I am on this very committee for soliciting this afternoon.' "'I wouldn't have served. Of all hateful business that a woman can do, I should think that would be the meanest. Talk about drudgery. I'd rather drudge at the wash-tub all day, if I were a woman, than to tramp all day through dirty streets, stopping at people's houses, begging them to give. I shouldn't say you were suited to that sort of work. Mrs. Evans checked a troubled little sigh, and tried to smile as she said, Oh, well, I don't suppose I will need to say much. I am just chosen for company. Mrs. Bacon is to go with me, or rather, I am to go with her. She is a good solicitor, they say. The gloomy-faced husband sneered. I should think very likely she would be. She has just about impudence enough for such work. Well now, Mr. Evans, she says to me, don't you really think you ought to do a little more for the sake of the cause? For the sake of the fiddlestick, as if a man didn't know his own business, without having Mrs. Bacon trot after him to tell him of it. She cares about as much for the cause as her yellow-haired poodle does. I wish, if they must put you to such disagreeable positions, they would at least send you out with a woman who has common sense. It is wretched poor policy in them to send her, if people are any like me. I always give at least twenty-five cents less than I would if anybody else asked me. How came they to choose you, almost a stranger, for such work? Wasn't there anybody else willing to be imposed upon? 
This time Mrs. Evans's sigh was not suppressed. I hardly knew how to refuse, she said at length, hesitatingly. They knew I had very little to do. In fact, they mentioned me as one who had leisure, and I thought perhaps I might help a little in that way. I always used to help at home in whatever way I could. Help? Mr. Evans's voice was getting into a regular growl. Who are you helping, pray? Don't get into the habit of talking that nonsense about the good of the cause. That will do for idiots like Mrs. Bacon to peep. I wish to goodness there was a church to be found that didn't undertake to pay its honest debts with cake. I believe I'd move tomorrow and go into its vicinity. I'm tired of this eternal begging to get stuff to put into people's stomachs and let them call it benevolence. I wouldn't have anything to do with it, Eva, if I were you. Mrs. Evans's naturally pale cheeks were a deep crimson now. She protested earnestly, But Dane, how can I help it? We belong to this congregation, and I, at least, am pledged to do what I can for its support. I thought you wanted me to help in any way that I could, and I really didn't see how to refuse. There was a little quiver in her voice, such as always subdued the tendency to growl in her husband's. He drank his coffee more slowly. Oh, of course, he said at last. I suppose you are in for it. I'm not blaming you, Eva, you understand, but I hate the system all the same. So do all honest men. That is the reason I hate to see you mixed up with it, in the name of a church, too. Well, how much money must you have? This question set Mrs. Evans to cutting her stake nervously into little bits. I don't know just how much money it takes to make cake, Dane, but we are out of sugar, and the butter will not last, if I have it used for cake too. Then I shall need eggs and raisins, I suppose, or flavoring of some sort. I never calculated the price of cake, Dane. I just used to go down to the kitchen and weigh out whatever materials I needed and make my cake without any regard to expense, so I don't know how to plan. I wish women ever did sit down and calculate the expense of cake. They would discover that it is an awfully extravagant way to be benevolent. But, Eva, how does it happen that we are out of sugar again? It can't be two weeks since I sent up that great box full. The fair blue eyes were swimming in tears, and the wife's voice was half choked as she answered, I'm sure I don't know. Kate seems to be careful with the sugar, but we have been using a good deal of fruit lately, you know, since Jenny was here, and puddings and custards take a great deal, it seems. I never used to think so, but they do. I have really tried, Dane, to look after it, and be as careful as possible, but the sugar goes in spite of me. I'm almost discouraged. Poor little mouse, with an attempt at a laugh. You can't keep track of the sugar, eh? I have a suspicion that your husband's fondness for apples baked in sugar may account for some of it. Besides, ants sometimes make havoc with sugar, you know. This time I think it is cousins. I never could quite understand how Jenny West happened to be your cousin. I'm glad it is two removes. Third cousin, isn't she? Second, Mrs. Evans answered meekly. She knew her husband was not fond of Jenny. Well, I wish you could teach her a few lessons in common politeness. I never supposed it was etiquette for a guest to arrange the bill of fare. When is she coming back? 
Not until next week. Shall I make two cakes, Dane, or would you say you could only furnish one? Oh, I suppose you will have to do what the rest do. If they say two, we say two. That's the benevolence of it. But now, seriously, Eva, this matter must be carefully considered. I have a pretty good salary, you know, so-called, and there are only two of us, and yet we are running behind all the time. We went to housekeeping, you remember, to save money, and we are spending it as fast again as when we were boarding. In fact, we are spending more than I get. Running in debt, you understand, and nothing to pay it with unless we begin to save somewhere. I don't understand these things, but I suppose you women do, and it will have to be looked into closely. Kate wastes, I presume all girls do. At least that is what Will Coleman says his mother says. Will, by the way, is wonderfully interested in the expenses of housekeeping. I told him it was ten times cheaper to board. Now, my dear, I hate this whole business. I'd like to feed you on fruitcake and dress you in silk velvet if I could, but you see, the trouble is, we can't do what we can't, either for ourselves or for others. This cake matter must be attended to now, I suppose, but when we have a little time, we must talk it over, and see if we can't think our way out, before another festival or fair or something of the sort pounces down on us. As to money, I haven't but two dollars to my name. I'll give you one of them, and send up the sugar and eggs from Bacon's. I'll tell him to charge them to benevolence. There comes my confounded car. We must contrive to get around earlier in the mornings. Mind, I'm not blaming you, wifey. You do your best, I dare say. I must go this minute. And he bent over her with a hasty farewell kiss, and strode through the dining room in haste, whistled the already passed car, and was off for the day. Mrs. Evans sat still where he had left her, stirring the fast-cooling coffee, pushed her fork into the untasted bits of steak, and drew it out again, and presently arose from her uneaten breakfast, touched her little silver call-bell for Kate, and walked away to the sitting-room before she came, to hide the flushed face and tearful eyes. There were unmistakable tears in the eyes now. It seemed to her that she had reached the extreme limit of endurance in this matter, it was all so different from what she in her girlhood days had planned. She had been one of those petted, only daughters, in a beautiful home. Father and mother had vied with each other in surrounding her life with sunlight. Her tastes had been comparatively simple, her ideas quiet, therefore she had not needed what people of wealth would call large sums of money with which to carry out her plans so to her mind money had always been plenty. She had only to ask for what she wanted, and it was invariably forthcoming, given with a smile and a kiss. Her father was not wealthy, he was simply well-to-do, but even this she did not know. He might be very rich for all she thought about it, he certainly was not poor. It was with her in all her relations in life exactly as she had explained about the cake. When she had wanted to do anything, she did it, asking no questions, giving no thought as to expense. She had been benevolent in a sense, that is, she had taken her place in the church work, not as a leader, she was not destined by nature for a leader, and she had not grace enough to assume the position, 
but when the fairs or festivals or benevolent associations of any sort sprang into periodical activity, and the managers thereof talked cake and cream and oysters, or tidies and pincushions and toilet sets, as a way out of debt or into opulence, she unhesitatingly and sweetly bore her share of the burden. Indeed, hers was apt to be among the first voices to say, I will make cake, or we can furnish cream at our house, or you can use our parlors. All these things were pleasant to her, were in no sense sacrifices, were done spontaneously. Giving, as a matter of principle, she knew nothing about, and yet, like so many others, she thought she knew all about it. Less than two years before this day of which I am telling you, the pleasant thread of life that had unraveled so smoothly before her suddenly snapped asunder. At least one of the main strands gave out without word of warning. In the morning the father went away, kissing his wife, kissing his daughter as usual. In the evening he lay cold and silent in his parlor, never again to be a living presence there. From this shock the gentle mother never rallied, but sank almost immediately into a state of invalidism, nurtured and lovingly thought of day and night by the daughter, whose purse opened lavishly as usual to supply her needs, until one morning she awoke rudely to the frightful fact that the money was gone. The well-to-do man of business had been, like many another, living beyond his means, and had left nothing but five hundred dollars in cash for his wife and child to live on. Even the pretty home that had been theirs ever since the daughter was born went to pay the outstanding debts. As for the five hundred dollars, it melted away like snow in springtime. The daughter had not the slightest idea where. She had never been taught to manage money. Of one thing she was glad, at least she came to be glad, after the first stunning sense of grief was over, that her mother had no need to know of this later blow. She sank away out of life sooner than any had feared, soon enough to fondly suppose that she left her daughter mistress of the home and with plenty of money at her disposal as heretofore, and there was barely enough to furnish the requisite amount of crepe and pay the enormous bills for carriage hire. All of these sad events, hurrying so rapidly on each other, had in their turn hastened the marriage of the daughter to the enterprising young clerk of the firm of Briggs and Bowen, a clerk who was said to be receiving an unusually good salary for a man of his years. And his young wife, if she had thought of it at all, which she didn't, would have imagined a thousand dollars a year to be a small fortune. As for Dane Evans, he was the sort of a young man who knew that it had been amply sufficient for his wants, therefore it would do very well for both of them. As soon, then, as the customs of society would admit, for I suppose you surmise by this time that these people were both of the class who pay careful attention to the customs of society, they were married and organized their home very much as if they had five thousand a year to depend upon instead of a thousand. Their first rude awakening was the discovery that the fashionable boarding-house which had been a home to Mr. Evans for five years would not do for the two, or, in other words, that twenty dollars a week for board, fuel and lights extra, was simply not to be thought of. 
they went higher, not in price but in stairs, and tried sixteen dollars a week, and were appalled to discover that even this painful reduction left them in debt, and their necessities increasing every hour. What was to be done? After many talks, and some tears on the wife's part at least, they concluded to try housekeeping, Eva being sure that it must be cheaper a great deal, for Mama never had any trouble. At that time her husband was too young and too fond a husband to sneer, but he smiled and did not remind her that he himself was only a clerk, while her father was at least supposed to be the sole owner of a good business. Then began a wearisome round of house-hunting. Then, too, did the young couple take their first lesson in rents. They were amazed and utterly dismayed to discover that the whole salary would not pay for what they were pleased to consider a suitable house in a decent neighborhood. They tried other neighborhoods. They climbed higher and higher toward the limits of the city, and at last found, fully six miles away from the center, the queer little box in which they now lived. That was the husband's name for it, and certainly to them both it was unlike any house of their experience. Yet it was a pretty enough house, and even up here the price to be paid was something that made them give doubtful glances at each other. They were growing wiser as to the capabilities of a thousand dollars a year. Yet not much, else they would never have spent nearly that sum in furnishing the house. The young husband, who had been receiving his salary of a thousand dollars for five years, had in the days of his bachelorhood managed to save a trifle over two hundred a year, and congratulated himself often upon being a thrifty fellow. He did do better than many a young man of his acquaintance. This thousand, carefully invested as it had been, was drawn out, and furnished the rented house with pretty carpets and delicately upholstered furniture for the parlors and spare chamber. Eva, the wife, was gifted with rare taste in this matter of house furnishing, and if she had not been restricted in means, could have made the queer little house into a bower of beauty. As it was, she believed herself to have been a martyr. She had crucified her tastes in a dozen particulars. She had studied economy until her fair face was wrinkled and troubled, and yet the thousand dollars vanished in the most extraordinary manner. Long before the house was completely furnished, the means were gone, and, as is usual in such cases, it was the kitchen and the everyday living rooms that had to suffer. Then began a season of daily struggles with kitchen expenses. Sugars and teas and coffees and oils, and meats, and coal, and all the long, long list of necessities. Poor Eva wrestled with them, and tried to plan and save, and was afraid of her girl in the kitchen, and afraid of her pantry, and afraid of her pocketbook, and grew to hate the very name of sugar. And yet, week by week, the bills and expenses increased, and her husband's face grew graver, and his tones were growing, occasionally, a little sharp, even to her. And she saw no way out of the problem. What was she to do? Here was this fearful church supper looming up before her. When had she ever shrunk from a church supper before? She hated the very thought of it now, and this thought made her cheeks glow with shame. She hated to have to hate such expenditures. 
she wanted to give to be benevolent in her narrow understanding of the term she liked to be able to smile and say oh certainly when the cake or coffee question came up it made her blush like a criminal to think that possibly the time was coming when she really must say i can't afford to do thus and so her unfortunate education had been that some way it was a confession of sin to be obliged to say i can't afford it she was learning through bitter experience to look ahead a little she had pored over figures enough lately to discover that even going on as they had been and she could not see how it was possible for them to live on less than they did would plunge them into debt she saw that dane's face was constantly troubled that he shrank from any conversation or suggestion that would involve outlay that he read the morning paper a great deal for fear she would ask him for money for dinner or to pay kate it seemed to the poor bewildered wife that kate was always needing to be paid it made her wince and flush to take the three dollars weekly from her delicate gold-mounted portemonnaie and bestow it on the great good-natured german who daily scorched their steak and served them muddy coffee every expenditure made her wince her second cousin jenny west had been like a long nightmare to her during the ten days of her visit and she shivered to think of her coming back next week she rubbed the steam made by her breath from the window-pane with her delicate cambric handkerchief then stared guiltily to see the soil and to remember that even that little act had added another item to the weekly wash which was another of her trials church suppers looked like anything but interesting inventions to her and there was no use to wipe the window-pane for the tears were falling on it thick and fast End of chapter 3